We hope you find this information useful and if you have any questions regarding the content of this presentation, please do not hesitate to inquire with your relationship manager or by sending us an email. Please be aware that this presentation does not constitute any form of investment advice and is only reflective of information that is available to the presenter at the time the presentation is being made. The material presented is just for information use only. Please speak to your advisor prior to making any investment decisions. Hello everyone, welcome to your well, uh, chat. Uh, today you have Hussein Ahmad, uh, myself, and Ralph DeSando, the head of our private equity. And it's December 14th, Monday. Hello, Ralph. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Hussein. You? I'm doing very well. Ralph, uh, there has been a lot of questions from our clients on the long-term healthcare uh, and our private equity and our private fund. A lot of questions, a lot of things that we have done throughout the year. Uh, maybe as a start, just give a view of our investors in less than 30 seconds, high level, uh, what we have done this year to diversify our product set uh, for, their, for their benefit. Certainly. I mean, 2020 has been, uh, I, I'm going to say, an extremely challenging but very fruitful year for the private investment side of the business. Growing from 2016 in what we've done to diversify the, the funds, we've gone from just having an investment in elderly care to having an investment in institutional pharmacy, and now expanding into private lending. To do that all in a 12-month period in the middle of this market has been uh, certainly a testament to the team at Yorkville and clearly shows what we can do. Well, certainly on behalf of our investors and the team, uh, we know how busy you have been and how great success you've led your team. And you managed to raise just because success somewhat is measured in the dollar amounts that we raise for our projects or our investment plans. Uh, but maybe you can give an idea in terms of the number, the dollar amounts that are involved in terms of raising so far. And what do we need to raise in 2021 in order for us to continue to be a significant player uh, with the Ministry of Health, for example, and redeveloping Ontario long-term healthcare. Certainly, uh, 2020, from an equity perspective, uh, not just in performance, has also been a record year. Uh, we raised for our private investments in excess of $40 million. Uh, the fund itself has grown to over $200 million. You know, if you think about it, a year ago, it was probably about $140 million last October. So certainly growth that we haven't seen but is a testament to uh, our performance as well as the continued belief in, in the distribution channels and what they're showing in us. That's, that's great news. That's great to hear from us. What do you think do we uh, are going to present in terms of returns to our investors, rough estimates? I know security regulations prohibit us from giving other than a forecast, but do you think we're going to do similar uh, type of return, better, uh, better than 2021? What do you think the environment we're going to allow us to deliver to our investors? In 2021, uh, we see a need for, I'm going to say, about $100 million of equity to save. The opportunities in front of us are what we haven't seen in years. Given the fact that we've become leaders in the healthcare space, people are coming to us for solutions. Our ability to structure things for our investors and investing companies and how we're able to do that has is able to show how we can deliver uh, on, on even better results. Uh, for 2021, I, I project, uh, I'm going to say, between 9 and 12% return for our investors. Good to hear. Uh, also, just for anybody watching this video, 
This video is obviously, and these investments are only for accredited investors that meet uh, security regulation definition. Uh, but maybe you can give Rob, who would be your ideal investor? I know we cannot say who's ideal, who's not, but what the type of investor profile you would look for that will benefit from such an investment, for example? Someone with a, a medium to long-term focus uh, is looking for tax efficiency in their in returns, uh, also is looking for lower volatility in their returns, and also one that believes in our mandate. I think a lot of things that we take pride in is our investors actually feel attached to what we're doing. They take a lot of pride in what we're doing. They see that uh, we're actually making a difference, making a change in Canadian healthcare, and they want to be part of that story. They can see, touch, feel exactly what we're doing, um, and, and they actually have the same sense of pride that we have uh, in their in their own selves. So that's the kind of investor that we're looking for. Certainly, I remember our meeting in early 2010 uh, when we talked about investing in the Canadian healthcare system and becoming a major factor of improving uh, or introducing improvement to the system. Certainly, this time uh, we're closer to doing that job than ever before. And you and I are happy that we have a good group of clients, good group of advisors that share our vision uh, and want to have their investments have an impact on our lives. So we're, uh, with that, I'm going to say thank you to Ralph. Appreciate this chat. This, this is a normal chat me and Ralph have on a regular basis. Uh, and we'll be chatting more with Ralph in the coming days, more about private equity and healthcare investing. Thank you, Ralph. Thanks, Hussein. So I also know, Ralph, you get a lot of questions from our clients on our uh, approach to public equities and bonds. So, um, and I know you always come to me with these questions and I answer them, but I want to give you an opportunity now uh, for me and you to have these discussions to address some of these issues that our clients are raising with you and our other financial advisors. So I'll pass it to you. Certainly. Feel free to ask me any question. I'll be happy to answer. Well, that's good. I mean, this is something you and I chat about on a regular basis, but, you know, back in 2010, again, when we started Yorkville there, uh, you made a promise to clients, myself, uh, and all the employees that you basically said, you know, we're going to build a company that's going to manage risk, nurture wealth. Uh, I'd say, you know, 2020 has probably one, been one of your most challenging years, if not the most challenging years, but you've been through a bunch of them. Um, how would you say that you... Uh, manage that promise to our clients this year? Um, we actually delivered on that promise. So if you take a look in March this year, when the markets were down 30%, 31-32%, our worst performing fund in the O class for our private clients was down roughly 4 or 5%. In fact, many of our clients have more of a balanced portfolio, and many of them were above zero, plus two, plus three return in the month of March. In fact, that uh, our performance in managing risk have elevated Yorkville funds to be in top quarter ranking. In fact, uh, in ranking number one and two uh, among a, a good group of companies in Morno Chappelle Investment Manager Survey for the first quarter. So we've done very well on delivering on that promise. Of course, when we met in 2010, it was two years after the financial crisis, people that uh, our approach to investing, which is managing risk, nurturing wealth, or participate and protect, 
it was at the top of their minds. But we've had a long bull run market. Uh, and between 2010 and 2019, markets were very strong, despite many risks we faced in 2019, for example. And people were starting to wonder if that hedging strategy that we deploy, constantly buying insurance, uh, was paying off. And thankfully, many of them stayed with us, uh, continued on the path with the strategy that we set uh, in motion. And you know what? All of them got uh, rewarded in March and got rewarded in 2020. Our returns are almost in the low double digits across almost all funds, with the exception of Canadian equities. It's a little bit uh, lags in performance, but we're very proud for our performance in uh, this year in a very difficult environment, as you can uh, tell. Uh, there's no question. I mean, your first, second quartile Morningstar, which is fantastic in this market, and, and your three-year, five-year numbers have, are, are amazing when you, when you take into consideration what you've done over the past 12 months. So congratulations to you and your team. Thank you. So, but one of the questions I do have, Hussein, and a lot of people keep asking is, what is driving this market higher? It's almost scary in a sense. So, so what, what do you see and what are you doing? Oh, there's a number of things that drive the market higher in 2020 and will continue to drive them at least into the foreseeable future. And doesn't mean we're not going to experience a correction. Corrections are the normal thing. In any typical year, there's at least one or two corrections that are in a magnitude of 10% markets recovered from them. But what has been driving the market higher is, number one, very low interest rate environment. And you know the interest rate um, is the denominator that you use to discount future cash flows to arrive at the stock value. So the lower the interest rate, naturally, the higher the value of any assets. That's why we see uh, prices of homes higher, prices of bonds higher, and prices of equity. So that's number one. Number two, the actions of the Federal Reserves or the Bank of Canada, where they said they will step in and prevent bankruptcies. Uh, they will step in and provide liquidity to the market. And that gives us comfort that there might be bankruptcies with some companies, like we've seen with uh, some of those uh, car rental companies. But that real bankruptcy has been delayed at least for another year or so. So the threat of immediate bankruptcy is not there. The third thing is the fiscal and monetary stimulus. Even today, they're debating is should the stimulus in the US be $1 trillion or should it be $2 trillion? This is, uh, will be the fourth package in terms of fiscal stimulus. The U.S. is doing it, Canada is doing it, Europe is doing it. So all in all, there's a substantial amount of fiscal stimulus being pumped that's going to equate roughly 30% of the GDP. So that gives us uh, confidence that the stock market is not at an immediate risk of a collapse. Of course, we are in a uh, President Trump lowered taxes. We don't think uh, President Biden is going to increase taxes. Um, so we are, corporate America is net beneficiary of that environment. You add to that with our style focused on healthcare. This is a healthcare driven crisis. So you can tell uh, these healthcare companies are going to do very well. And of course, the IPO technology uh, disruptors, whether it's the Teslas or it's the traditional Google or Apple or Palantir uh, or yesterday or the day last week, sorry, Airbnb IPO. Uh, there's substantial amount of interest and liquidity pursuing these investment opportunities. So all these things have been very good for the market and very good for your investment style. Uh, we are more comfortable in managing risk when volatility 
we can understand it and explain it, but it's hard for us to manage that volatility and risk in 2019, where we did not see the catalyst for the markets to move higher, but nevertheless, markets kept moving higher. Um, in this environment, we understand it, we can manage the risk around it, and so far, uh, delivered strong returns for our investors. Well, uh, yes, for sure, and well done. So, so tell me about the U.S. versus Canadian dollar, because clearly, given our mandates, how we invest, large cap, S&P 500, how are you taking into account the strength of the Canadian dollar, which we've seen lately? Uh, how do you see it continuing? Do you see it continuing? What do you see? Sure, the Canadian dollar strengthened, and in particular in the second part of the year, uh, early in March, uh, the U.S. dollar versus Canadian dollar. Uh, the U.S. dollar tends to do very well when there is a political uncertainty, whether it's trade war with China, political tension with Iran, uh, trade uh, breakdown of trade negotiations with Canada, the, with Europe. People tend to gravitate, uh, flight to safety, flight uh, to that U.S. dollar. And that's when the U.S. does very well, and it did very well for the first half of the year. The second half of the year, because of uh, the prospect of uh, a vaccine for COVID, we've seen a run-up in commodities, whether it's the price of gold, silver, iron ore, almost every commodity, including um, oil, uh, the price of commodities have moved higher, and that is highly correlated with the price of the Canadian dollar. So naturally, the Canadian dollar is getting stronger. Um, the only one outlier in that group of commodities is oil. Today it's at $46, $47. Um, if oil drops to 42 we can see the Canadian dollar weakening. If oil moves to 52 we can see the Canadian dollar strengthening. Now, traditionally, we do hedge the U.S. dollar when it's above 130 135 uh, In this environment, we don't feel that there's an immediate need for hedging. Uh, because most of our exposure is in U.S. dollars. If you think of our balance portfolio, Canada-U.S., we're 65% exposure U.S., 35% Canada. Um, so with that, we don't feel that there's an immediate need for us to hedge. But once the Canadian dollar exchange rate goes above 1.3, we'll probably start hedging our U.S. dollar exposure. Uh, and we think it, it's, it's going to continue weakening uh, the U.S. dollar. The Canadian dollar will continue to strengthen in the meantime. So we might put a temporary hedge later this week or early next week. So the last thing I want to talk to you about is really uh, something that's a little bit new for Yorkville with the addition of a, a pre-IPO fund and, and starting to work on these TFA strategy, TFSA strategies. So tell our clients a little bit about our success and uh, the nuances of what we've done to uh, provide some upside and opportunities that they don't normally uh, see. One of the biggest limitations of using a fund, any fund, a mutual fund, whatever it is, uh, is security regulators, uh, regulations that require the fund to be broadly diversified. Uh, and with the diversification, uh, you get lower risk, but you also get a muted return. You cannot take on the risk uh, that you want, and most fund companies like ourselves want to maintain the risk level at a medium type of range in terms of its volatility. However, the tax-free savings accounts are not designed for you to take low risk in them. They are meant for capital appreciation. So what we decided early on this year, right after the market collapse, that we need to shift our clients into individual accounts, and actually each TFSA 
has about between four to eight investments only. The maximum is eight. It will never go above eight. And that allowed us to get almost 100% return this year on our tax-free savings accounts that are pursuing that strategy. Um, and the most important thing is capital appreciation. Unlike, for example, on our RSP investor investment or RESP investment, these tend to be a longer-term hold or longer-term time horizon, and they're managed differently. So we were very successful in doing that, and I do believe as of today, we're one of the few companies that have that are pursuing the strategy for our wealthy uh, and high net worth clients. Um, so that's what answers uh, part one of your question. The second part, as you know, uh, you were instrumental in us dabbling into some pre-IPOs in the past. Uh, the last one we did was Palantir. Uh, when we did Palantir, we did buy it at $5 in a pre-IPO market. Um, and today it's trades at 27. Uh, and when we look at our private equity side of the business, uh, we realize that there's a plenty of large cap companies that it's too late to invest in them once they do the IPO. You wanna invest in them in a year or two years before they go public. And we created a fund that will allow our investors to invest in those pre-IPOs uh, and bring more investments like Palantir and others. Uh, Airbnb, you've seen the results last week. For people who invested in Airbnb when it was $26, um, now it's at 120 or 130, somewhere in that price range, but at IPO that's 146, um, there's a plenty of gain to be made before the company goes public. So these are large cap companies. These are companies everybody knows about them, but they are private. We want to invest in them before they go public. And we're offering that uh, service to our accredited investors and our high net worth clients and institutional clients. And I think they're going to be net beneficiary of this added service or added solution in managing their aggregate wealth. So we're excited about that. They'll hear from us more about it in 2021. Uh, but for now, uh, it's just we're, we're happy to be very much like on private equity, private lending, and now pre-IPO. We're expanding our toolbox to offer different solutions to our clients to really maximize the returns that they could get from a relationship with your group. Well, I mean, that's exciting. We've done a lot in 2020 and 2021 is looking even uh, more exciting for us. You know, I'm your biggest champion and your harshest critic. So you've done a great job, all your team. And uh, I truly believe that our clients are appreciative of the hard work uh, that we do and you do. And I uh, can't thank you enough. Well, thank you, Ralph. Uh, we look forward for 2021. We think it's going to be exciting for all of us and for our clients. And we hope to deliver another uh, double-digit returns for our on all our portfolios uh, and make it a good year for us and our clients. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, this chat, Rob. The information in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from any Yorkville employee or entities to the listener. Neither Yorkville nor any of its employees makes any representation or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements and any information presented in this podcast and any related or associate liability, therefore. The views presented in this podcast are not for any investor. Listening to this advice should not be considered as receiving advice from Yorkville or constituting a client relationship of any sort, even if such a relationship already exists. Speak to your advisor prior to investing. Investing involves lots of risks and your advisor should help you in deciding on a strategy that is suitable for you.